I would have to say the first things I would advise to anyone who's starting a business is to understand that it's rough when you start because, <laughs> because you are going to think you're right about something and you're going to be wrong. And you're going to be wrong over and over and over again. And your ego has to take that. Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Okay, so today I have the pleasure of interviewing one of my close friends, Dr. Julie Wilson. Julie and I met last year at my brother's wedding. Her and her husband, Ali, were the MCs, and we instantly connected. We instantly became friends. And what I love about Julie is that she is so passionate about encouraging women, especially to get out there in business, you know, challenge the status quo ask for equality or demand equality within our pay cycles and everything career-wise. So I have the pleasure of interviewing her today. Dr. Julie Wilson is a self-made female entrepreneur in medicine. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Biochemistry from UBC, a Doctor's of Medicine from UBC, and has completed her residency in Family Medicine at the University of Toronto. She currently works as a full-time family doctor and runs a multidisciplinary medical clinic with seven doctors, three nurse practitioners, physiotherapy, respiratory therapy, and more. She built her medical business from the ground up without business training and has learned a lot in the process. She was raised locally in Surrey, BC, Canada to parents that were outside the medical or business world. She is currently a clinical faculty member at UBC, and most doctors have little to no business training, which is why most doctors do not build their own businesses. Dr. Julie Wilson has gone against the trend in her career to be both a doctor and a woman entrepreneur. All right, Julie, I'm so excited for this interview today. And I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. So we are going to dive into what it's like to be an entrepreneur in the medical profession, because in Canada, and it's different in every country, but in Canada, the medical profession is largely government. And mm -hmm. so for entrepreneurs, it's really interesting because you actually have to build your own business yes. if you want to have your own practice and be yes. able to create your own hours. So. Can you give us a little bit of background about how you started your clinic and where this idea even came from? Yeah, I mean, when I, just like any other medical student starts your career, you have these grand ideas about what life is going to be like, perhaps a little bit like TV, house MD, or, you know, scrub, something like that. <laughs> Eventually, you sort of get into the reality of it. You see how your mentors and your preceptors are working, and you start to say to yourself, is this what I want for myself? Is it? just the medicine that I'm looking for? Or is it something more that I can do? As an educated person, you have pretty high self-confidence. I would say most medical students have high self-confidence. But for some reason, most 
doctors have low self-confidence when it comes to business or risk. For myself, I felt quite differently than my classmates. Most of my classmates poo-pooed the idea of running a business. They thought that running a business maybe was anti-medicine itself, that we should be focused more on medicine, or perhaps not the focus of what they were going for. And fair enough for them, that was the case. But for myself, what I wanted to do was have a bit of a more varied career. I wanted to do medicine, but also make my own system, make my own path, maybe make systems for my patients that would actually affect their healthcare that were genuinely in my control rather than in the control of a larger system like a hospital or health authority. So where it came from was sometime in medical school, I decided, and this was funny, I used to say, I want my own chair and I want my own pen and I want my own staff and I want there to be people around me who never yell at me, work with me, and I have my own power and control. And then it went on from there. So what I ended up doing was choosing a specialty that allowed me to work wherever I wanted to run my practice without requiring referrals or requiring a position in a hospital. And my husband, who's also a doctor, I did convince him with a number of spreadsheets that this was what we should do, (laughs) that we should do it together. And with the power of two, we would be able to build a business. And with that, we chose our specialties, did our residency in Toronto, and then came back to Vancouver the entire idea, the entire time to build our own business. So how many years ago did you actually start the clinic? It's been open now for six years, and it took about one year to build from inception to actually opening the doors and accepting the first patient. Oh, cool. And do you guys own the actual clinic or is it leased? We leased it. At the time, we didn't have enough money to buy commercial real estate. But we did have a brand new building where we did all the leasehold improvements. So it's all new inside as our special project. That's so cool. And now you said you've got some other medical practitioners and some nurses Mm -hmm. and physiotherapists. What is your business model like in this clinic? That's a great question. When I built the clinic, I had built 11 exam rooms and a very large waiting room, which probably could fit maybe 20, 30 people, uh, two offices a nice office space adjacent to a pharmacy that could help us out in terms of allied healthcare. When we built it, there were only two of us, right? So we didn't need 11 exam rooms. The idea was always to expand and have other people working with us. Most clinics at the time that I had opened my clinic were solo practitioner, meaning there was a single doctor there. Maybe they would have another person or another person, maybe three people. Occasionally would come across a walk-in clinic where there would be many doctors, but they wouldn't be working simultaneously, for example. What I wanted to do was different. I wanted to build a clinic where there would be a larger number of doctors and other practitioners working together, each with their own patients, but able to share the clinical load so that you didn't have to personally be there every single day, Uh, share uh, the administrative load so that over sharing of costs, the costs would come down, and then through my management, I would be able to make sure the clinic was run well, and I would be able to take any extra overhead that we ended up saving on by, you know, economies of scale. Yeah, totally. Because it's so true. Not everybody needs their own receptionist, for example. Yes. So if you have, sorry, you said there's seven doctors total. So if you think about it, if there were single, what did you call it? When A they, solo practitioner. Solo practitioner clinics. And each one of them would have their own receptionist. And let's say the receptionist makes 
uh, I don't know, $60,000 a year, mm -hmm. but they may not be busy the whole time because there's only one doctor that they need to support. Whereas if you had, let's say, two receptionists mm -hmm. that are supporting seven doctors, it's <laughs> obviously a lot more financially sound to do that. And you bring your overhead costs way down. Yes. Plus you're not paying seven times rent, yes. seven times utilities and all that. So that's really that's smart. Right. And that's a really cool business model. And now that you're six years in, you've obviously had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges that you've had along the way? And especially given that you didn't have any prior business training. I would have to say the first things I would advise to anyone who's starting a business is to understand that it's rough when you start because, <laughs> because you are going to think you're right about something and you're going to be wrong. And you're going to be wrong over and over and over again. And your ego has to take that. And you have to say, okay, I was wrong. Fair enough. I'm going to try something else. And then you're going to try that and it's going to be better or worse. Could be either. And then you're going to have to fix it again and again and again. So I think what I have learned is that you sort of stand on the shoulders of giants, that giant being your previous work, right? So yep. you do something, you fix it, it gets better. And then you fix something else and you keep doing that until you've done it 2,000 times, 10,000 times. And then suddenly your business starts to make sense. So what I would say, basically all the little systems. Yeah. So there's a system for scheduling, for cleaning, for supply chain, all of those things without the system being fully sorted out, everything you have to first principle. So I think if I were to, for example, build a second clinic, which I'm hoping to do, it would be so much easier, so much easier. But and, when I, and faster, and faster. Yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> you already have all yeah. the systems, you know exactly what software you need, you know exactly, exactly how many staff you need to run mm -hmm. for however many doctors you have and, and all of that. Whereas at the start, you would have been figuring it out, as yeah. you said, by sort of trial and error and yes. realizing if you don't order something, it's not going to be there when you need it. <laughs> yes. And then you ask, how do I order that? Oh, that doesn't come from that company. And then you have to research it. And it's very, very time consuming. But I think that over time, I think the first year is very hard. The second year was pretty good. And then definitely by year three or four, it was very smooth. And by year six, I feel like there's nothing I can't do anymore. Yeah. So do you think it's like a well-oiled machine that can operate when you're not there? Or do you still have to have mm -hmm. a, like I know that you and Ali do a lot of remote work now. Yes. So you're doing more of the tele, what, what is it called? Tele Telehealth. Yes. Telehealth. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I wasn't or telemedicine. Telemedicine. Yeah. yeah. I know that when I've had, you know, some doctor visits in the last year and a half, mm -hmm. the pandemic and everything, uh, we've done it over the phone. So that must allow a lot more freedom for you to be able to mm -hmm. live life on your terms and yes. spend more time doing the things that you love. Uh, skiing, I know you're both avid oh. skier snowboarders, so that's pretty cool that as a doctor, you now have that ability because you've created a system where you now know that your business is in the stability phase and it's you're generating good income. You've got reliable doctors working for you. You've got all the staff and all the systems in the right place so that you don't need to physically be there five days a week. You know, I think that's a really inspiring story because a lot of people in the medical profession are overworked. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was going to say, especially in the last 18 months, yes. probably reaching a bit of burnout. For sure. And probably never thought that this was even a possibility for them yes. to start their own practice and mm -hmm. to essentially leverage their risk-taking of setting it up getting it started themselves, and then looking for people to come and work as consultants in their clinic 
so that they have a secondary source of income that they don't necessarily need to be there 24 seven yes. in order to um, generate that income. That's really cool. Yeah. I think it actually works really well for everyone. So for myself, obviously the benefit is my business. I'm totally doing well from my business. I get to control, you know, the staff. If the staff isn't good, I can pick a better staff. You know, that's one problem with, yeah. you know, working for someone else's clinic or at the hospital. If you don't like something, you can't actually do anything about it. But I think that when you have enough doctors and practitioners working together, just with the economy of scale, you actually get just get a better product, just a better product. So even the doctors who are working for me, I believe that they're even getting more value for their money than they would have if they had been doing it on their own alone, right? Or, you know, with two or three people, because I can have better supply chain, better staff, a higher paid manager who makes it very smooth. So my manager is amazing. The best thing you can do for yourself is hire a good manager, good staff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, um, yeah. that is one of the biggest topics and yeah. recommended strategies that you hear from so many people is outsource mm-hmm. the things that you need done well to the specialist in that particular area. Yes. I know Tim Ferriss talks about oh, it in the four yes. hour work week. I love his strategy there because he's like, why would you waste your time doing things that you don't love doing? Hire a cleaner, mm-hmm. hire, you know, a dog walker if you don't have time to walk your dog or whatever it is. And when you look at somebody that is specifically trained in how to run a clinic, yes, it's going to take so much makes time a huge and energy difference. away from you so yeah. that you can enjoy your skiing mm-hmm. and they can do all of the invoicing and the mm-hmm. ordering and the staff management and payroll and whatever else it is so that you don't have to do that. And your economies of scale by having seven doctors can allow for that to happen so that you can actually pay them appropriately so that you don't have to be so involved and takes a lot of the stress and pressure off you. Yeah, exactly. And it allows me, just like the four-hour week said, was to let them do what they're really good at, which I'm not as good at. And then for things like building a second clinic, medical questions, how to handle the medicine part of the business, which is, is the business, right? I can be there to do that. But if I'm bogged down by a lot of administrative difficulties, which I initially did because I didn't want to outsource, I didn't want to spend the money. I learned that was not the way to go. I was spending so much time doing that. I wasn't actually able to succeed and expand. So by focusing on what I was good at and paying someone else to do what they're good at, we were able to just work synergistically. I'm doing better than ever in my business, in my practice. And emotionally, I think. Totally. With the practice, so everyone. Much pressure yeah. from you, right? You don't have to do seven jobs. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think things are, are working out really, really well. So that's why I'm at the stage now that me and, and some of my business partners are even thinking of opening another center, another clinic, because it's, it's just something that I like doing so much. I enjoy it so much. And I figured it out to the point I feel like it's almost a waste to not replicate what I've done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really, really good point is that. Once you spent so much time and energy figuring something out, and like Mm -hmm. you said, it was probably four years before it was smooth sailing. Yes. And it's so interesting because I've interviewed somebody else recently who said the same thing. It Mm -hmm. was really clunky in year one, Mm -hmm. really clunky in year two, finally started having some income and Mm -hmm. getting above break even in year three, and then started actually taking off into growth phase in year four. And so for anyone listening that is about to start a business or is thinking about starting a business, just know that most people 
don't have success until their fourth year in the business. Because what the problem is, is that everybody goes into business expecting an immediate result Mm -hmm. and expecting that, that it's going to be smooth sailing. They're just going to jump right in. All of a sudden, everything's going to be easy. They're going to be making money. They're going to be paying themselves and everything's going to be hunky dory. But the problem is, is that they don't realize that there are going to be things like these roadblocks that come up. There are going to be staffing issues and supply chain issues and all these little learning curves that happen at the start of the business. But now after six years in business, you're in a position to leverage your knowledge of what you did in those four years to probably get another clinic off the ground in what, less than 12 months if you really put your mind to it? Yeah, for sure. And if you would ask me at year three, do you think you could build a second one? I'd say, no, I don't have time for this. No one could do it. But then suddenly once it made sense, it just clicked and then it made sense. And yeah, yeah, and you could totally just almost even have like a guide that, yes. You know, like type oh, out a guide, I do an have operations a guide. manual. <laughs> you know, when I started training my staff, we call them MOA, medical office assistants. And when we started training them, you know, they would ask me a question and then I would just tell them. And then eventually I said, why don't you write it down? And then within 12 months, we had a 300 page manual of, oh, I'm sure. of that. I'm sure. And now we call it the MOA manual. It's, it's probably like 600 pages, but any question they could ask was put in there. So now they can just control F, search, what's the answer? And we adjust it. But it took, you know, it's just sort of funny, 300 pages of questions in the first year just to even get to that level. And now nobody almost asks me any questions. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah. And what I think is really cool about this too is that this is essentially how franchises are made, Mm -hmm. right? Because you start with one location. Look at F45 training, for example. They started with a couple locations in Australia, and then it became so popular that people wanted to buy their franchise. Now, it's obviously a little bit different with the medical profession because franchising, I don't know, may not be a thing. But once you've developed the business model and gone through the hard yards of Mm -hmm. the first four years of staying in business and learning about the staffing and all that, then it's very easy to actually replicate. And I think what you were talking about at the beginning when you said a lot of doctors don't want to start their own practice Mm -hmm. because they've already gone through all the hard yards with learning medicine. Yes. That it's essentially learning an entire other profession, which took four years. It's like doing a whole bachelor degree again, but you're getting paid and you're getting a result at the end of it. (laughs) But it is a big learning curve. Yes. And so now that you have learned all that, you can either teach other doctors how to do the same. You could Mm -hmm. coach them on it even. Or you could just start more practices yourself. And I think that that is a really, really cool, you know, message to communicate to other doctors or or medical practitioners. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually have a mentor who had her own business. Uh, she was she had three doctors and she's sort of where I got the confidence because in medicine, as I said at the beginning, for some reason, there is a stigma against opening your own business. Maybe it's considered unethical to be focusing a little bit on business and money when you should be doing medicine, or maybe it's just a pervasive fear that's part of the culture. But when I try and tell other people, open your own practice, do your own thing, a lot of them look at me with these wide, scared eyes like, oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, that wouldn't be me. That wouldn't be good. And I try and give them a lot of encouragement. And that's why even last year, I had 30 medical students come to my clinic. And I said, this is my clinic. This is where I bought the bed from. This is how many (laughs) staff I have. You know, trying to encourage them that it's definitely possible if that's something they want to do. And I think that's sort of what is maybe why we don't franchise. You don't see so many 
businesses in medicine is just completely out of our training, our purview, our culture. And it is something I would love to see more of because I think it would improve the quality of care in medicine if we actually had systems in place, bigger groups that actually knew what they were doing rather than it being the wild west out there. Anybody just does their own thing. Yeah, totally. I love that. And that's so powerful. And I love that you had juniors coming in to Mm -hmm. take a look because it really is one of those things that unless you've been exposed to it, Mm -hmm. you don't know that it's even a possibility. And that's why I wanted to get you on this podcast and especially towards women, because women are just more conservative when it comes to taking risks Mm -hmm. with their business, with their career. They prefer as a general statement, this is obviously not everybody, but they prefer to have more security and more stability within their career rather than taking big risks and putting themselves out there. Men are more likely to take these big risks, do, you know, take on debt in order to start a business, things like that. And what I love about you is that a, you're so well read. So every time we have a conversation, <laughs> I learn new vocabulary. I do love to learn, yes. But also that you are so encouraging towards women specifically to go and chase after their dreams, to get outside their comfort zone, and to challenge the norms of what has been placed on us. And you've challenged me on that many times. I know that in conversation. Yes, I am always trying to get every woman I know to fight the misogynist inside of themselves. And this has actually been proven in many studies, including in medicine about that security issue, that women are told, how are you going to raise a family? How are you going to have a life if you choose this career? And that's why a lot of women in medicine are pushed away from the higher paying specialties towards things that are more, quote unquote, lifestyle oriented, where you have a bit more choice or less hard work, work, part-time work. Exactly. But I think that makes women really doubt themselves. It also makes them not only doubt, can I do this thing at all? It makes them doubt, If I do it, can I actually stick with it? What if my life changes? I have a child. My husband doesn't like it. You know, I don't know any other woman doing it. So what I would say is for a woman, you really need to really step back and ask yourself, can I do this? And why can't I do it? And often the reasons you think you can't do it are not good reasons. They're not really more true for you than for a man. And I have found in my own career that opening the business actually gave me more stability. And this might sound crazy. But when you have a job and you have a boss or you have to work with other people, have a call group, there are other people telling you when you can and cannot work, which might affect you when you have to pick up your kids from daycare or go on vacation or go skiing or sleep in or whatever it is you want to do with your life. But as my own boss, nobody can tell me when to come to work. I go to work when I want to go to work and I don't go to work when I don't want to go to work. Of course, there are limits. You can't just disappear and move to Hawaii. But I have found that Building my own business gave me an autonomy I would have not had under pretty much any other circumstance. And I see this frequently when I hire other women. They ask me, can I have these hours? I have to pick up my child. I have to do these things. And I say, don't ask me those questions. You work whatever hours you want to work. I'm not going to tell you if you can pick up your child from daycare. But to the point, this is a doctor, a person who has been trained in university for years and years and years. And they're asking me if it's okay to pick up their child from daycare. These are the issues that affect women day to day, no matter your education, no matter what you're doing. And I would just like to put out there to women that opening a business might actually give you more control, more control, which might be what you would like to do. So don't doubt yourself. Everything is possible. You can do it. I've done it and I'm not that special. Everybody can do it. 
You just have to have confidence in yourself and a good support system, I would say. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I feel like the hair on my arms is standing <laughs> up when you were saying that because I so truly believe that being self-employed mm-hmm. and loving what you do and owning your own business is one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Mm-hmm. I used to hate asking can I have an hour off to go to the dentist Mm -hmm. or can I leave early today to go to an appointment or whatever it was, it felt almost like I was still in high school. Yeah, exactly. You know, a little bit like you have to ask for permission to go Mm -hmm. to the bathroom. And when you are specifically for women, and this goes for both parents, this is more of a generalization, but specifically for women who have a larger part in the things like picking up children or if they have to stay home with them because they're sick Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, the family care responsibilities, you don't want to have to ask. No. You just want to be able to say, yep, no problem, I'll be right there if your kid is unwell and you have to pick it up at noon. Exactly. And it not affect your ability to build your career. It not affect your ability to get a promotion or a pay raise or whatever it is. But unfortunately... We're just not there yet as a society where it's like, oh, you have children. Okay, well, you can only work part-time hours. We're only going to pay you for part-time hours. But this part-time hours stuff is bullshit anyway, because when you work in, I don't know about the medical profession, but when you work in business, there's no such thing as part-time hours. (laughs) You might be getting paid for part-time and you might be leaving early, but the work doesn't stop. You end up working at night when your kids have gone to bed. You end up working all hours of the weekend when you can, because you still have to get the work done. Yeah, that's right. No different for us. Yeah. Yeah. The work has to get done. Exactly. The work has to get done. And if you're not physically in your work environment, whether that's an office or work from home or Mm -hmm. whatever, you still have to do it. And so women, I think, are more gravitating towards taking part-time hours because it gives the illusion that you're actually doing less responsibility so that you can have more time with your family, but you end up doing the 40 hours a week anyways. And getting paid much less. And getting paid much less. And so I think what we've seen a big shift in, in in terms of business in the last 18 months is employers have to be more flexible with work from home, which was so frowned upon in so many industries prior to this whole pandemic situation. It's the silver lining of COVID. Totally, totally. And I think it was a really necessary change because the old nine to five mentality is a thing of the past. People work when they need to work. Mm -hmm. For example, myself, I do four hours in the morning. I take a two or three hour break in the afternoon. And then I probably do two or three hours in the evening. And then I call it quits at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And I like that because to sit and do eight hours straight in a row with, you know, a 30 minute lunch break or whatever. It's not that healthy. It's not healthy. You're stagnant all day. You're sitting at your desk or you're standing on your feet, whatever your job is. And it's just not a realistic lifestyle. Like when you're an entrepreneur, no entrepreneur sits and works for eight hours straight. They just don't. Not unless they want to. Not unless they want to. Yeah. Right. But when you have that flexibility to work when you want, it's so much more realistic for your lifestyle because For example, some days you might do four hours a day, but you might do four hours a day, seven days a week. And then you might do two 10-hour days and then take three days off. Yeah, there's a lot more flexibility. And I feel like it saves me time because, firstly, I love to work on the weekends. Everyone is friendlier on the weekends. There's no traffic. Everything is great. But that means that I do everything off hours. So if I'm driving to Whistler, it takes me an hour and 45 minutes. The other day, I came back at the end of the long weekend to visit my friend's baby. It took me four hours to visit her in Surrey. And I was thinking, wow, that was a waste of an extra two hours and 15 minutes I wouldn't have spent 
except that I had to go at this time. But everyone has to go whatever time when they have a, a job that they have to go to at that time. So I save money and time on gas and uh, commuting, commuting and, and, you know, getting my groceries or if I'm going to a restaurant, I'm always just doing it when it's the best for me. So I feel like my life, even though I'm a busy person, I essentially have two jobs. I run my business and I'm a doctor and I have lots and lots of hobbies. I feel like I have a lot of free time because I'm not wasting any time doing things at the wrong time. Right? Totally, totally. And you know what's so funny? We were just having a conversation about skiing prior yes. to this, about how you and your husband, Ali, love to go skiing on Tuesday, Wednesday, because mm-hmm. the crowds are so ridiculous now that people can't travel yes. or there's very restricted travel. Whistler last year, I was posting Instagram stories. It was like a four hour lineup to get up the mountain and it was all the way down the block like way down the street yeah, I saw, I saw your Instagram the, I actually saw that and I went back to bed I was yeah like, you're like I'm not waiting I'm in that <laughs> you're smart yeah. and you know people that are restricted to only going skiing on the weekends yes. unfortunately have no other choice no choice yeah. they get stuck in the Friday afternoon traffic mm-hmm. the Sunday evening traffic the Saturday Sunday lineups mm-hmm. and it's just that luxury of when you run your own business you can go skiing on a Monday or a Tuesday yes and you literally go straight up the lift you ski for three amazing hours you have no lift lines and this is not just you know this is this is more of an analogy than anything but it just gives you the option to make better choices and use your time more efficiently. Yes. That's what it is. Not sitting in a car for an extra hour each way. Well, the one caveat is that's when your business is doing well. When you start your business the first year, then you don't have time to go skiing at all. So you're just just working all the time. But yeah, once it starts to become smooth, then that's fine. But also, I mean, it depends on your business, right? But if I wanted to, sometimes I work at 7 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm in the clinic, people are coming. People are like, oh, thank goodness you're working at 7 p.m. on a Sunday. I didn't want to miss work to come here. So people are actually quite happy to interact with me during off hours. They don't necessarily want to be there at Monday at 9 a.m. That's actually not even their preferred time, right? So depending on your business, it may not even be that you're working the nine to five. That may not even be the best thing to do. So It might even be that if you are working all the time, quote unquote, you're still not working that same nine to five hours that puts you behind in terms of traffic, commuting, and busyness in general. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love that. So I won't take too much of your time now, but if you had a piece of advice for your 20-year-old self, Mm. what was one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Oh, that's a really tough one. What would I tell my 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self that everything is going to be okay. (laughs) That if you just try really hard and don't mind the failures, actually appreciate and enjoy the failures because every failure I ever had, I learned so much more than any success. And you just keep rolling with it. Things will work out. Things will work out. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been such a fun chat and we look forward to seeing you soon. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey.